Hi, and welcome to our latest Highlander Chat. I'm Mike Smullen, Executive Director of the Alumni Relations Office, and it's my pleasure to introduce Quovella Sprill, Class of 1994 and Director of Public Safety at Franklin Township, Somerset. Quovella, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. So it's a real honor to speak with you. The first thing that I should do is ask, how are you doing? How's your family doing? Everyone is well, despite everything that's going on in our crazy world right now. Yeah, that's great. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And of course, my thoughts are always with everybody's families and at least hopefully you're enjoying the summer so far. <laughs> but we're, we're working on it. We're working on it uh, with quarantine. So, you know, my main concern is, um, you know, I have a hundred new children in the Franklin Township Police Department. So we have to keep them safe and preoccupied during COVID as well. Yeah, that's gotta be a challenge for anybody, especially from a public safety perspective. Absolutely. I should mention you're Director of Public Safety at Franklin Township Somerset, uh, but you graduated from NJIT with a degree in engineering science in 1994. So you became involved in law enforcement pretty quickly thereafter. You've made a real career out of it. What's with the change? How did you go from engineering science to law enforcement? So my degree was engineering science, uh, environmental. And originally when I was asked, I, I guess I stayed in that field for about five years approximately. And I rose through the, to the rank of manager for the city of Newark, uh, which was an accomplishment because that is when uh, recycling and um, uh, alternative fuel vehicles um, came into play. And of course, you know, Essex County and North New Jersey, we were doing a lot of environmental cleanups and things like that back then, which was sort of exciting. Um, when I worked, uh, I'm sorry, when I went to NGIT, I also worked part-time in the city of Newark Law Department. So in the law department, I was assigned to municipal court which um, gave me the opportunity to see how police work and read their reports and you know enter data into the computer and my interest really developed there. But you know, with an engineering degree behind me, and fortunately back then it wasn't hard to find jobs. You know, uh, I really fell right into my trade, which was environmental. So uh, around 1998, a friend of mine said, you know, why don't you come to the prosecutor's office and investigate environmental crimes? So I thought, wow, that is like both worlds, the best of both, all in one, environmental crimes. So I went to Seagirt, say August 98. I came out December 98. And I was pretty much told the new environmental crimes were homicide or narcotics or child abuse. And I was assigned to the homicide unit, actually. So, so the new environmental crimes, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds a bit broader than, than just environmental crime. That's, uh, that's pretty extraordinary. So is this, these were different departments and they all kind of merged together or, you know, well, they saw your interest in your ability and you just kind of got in there. Well, it was a combination. So pretty, pretty much it was, a. they were, you know, joking with me, but environmental crimes were handled by the uh, state of New Jersey. So I was working for the county and, you know, there was no environmental crimes pretty much when I graduated from the academy and not a unit per se. Um, you know, it was real crime. There was um, serious criminal um, 
you know, crimes to be investigated in Essex County being the largest and the busiest. They needed me where they needed me and they placed me on homicide at the time. So that seems to me to be a theme, frankly, right? So I know in 2008, you went to work at the Professional Standards Bureau, uh, which is not an easy job on its own merits. And I, I think there's a lot of pre-selection that goes on. So clearly you had done a whole lot where you were, uh, but you ended up becoming a captain. And I know one of the roles of the Professional Standards Bureau was taking cases that involved questions of conduct by fellow officers. Um, I can't imagine what that's like, honestly. And you know, no matter how many TV shows you watch, the real actual life experience of that has got to be such such a unique and I, I would imagine pretty challenging uh, position and role to take. But you came out of it extremely highly respected. The work you did was highly respected. How did you do that? How did you square that circle? So the reality is uh, 2008, I was placed into internal affairs slash professional standards. And I had worked uh, 10 years in law enforcement at that point, which I mean, in Essex County is pretty much dog years. You know, for every year you get three to seven additional years versus working in another department or another agency in the state. So I had a lot of experience uh, working on different types of cases. I had worked in internal affairs. I had worked in child abuse. So I met quite a few cops along the way. And I, I had an idea of how each uh, department within Essex County works. So that helped. So when you're in professional standards, you are the fact finders. You listen to both sides and you just present the facts to the prosecutor who decides whether or not criminal charges are placed against a cop, or you send it back to the department and they decide whether or not administrative cases are put into effect. So I guess, um, you know, sometimes when you work in units like that, having a good idea of about what is actually required from law enforcement officials um, helps. But, you know, I enjoyed my time there in the sense that uh, I can honestly say less than 2% of law enforcement actually have that criminal element um, when they do their jobs. And, you know, a lot of the allegations that come about are administrative, which is left to the departments to decide what happens to them. But um, I mean, just being that fair person, able to um, just give the information straight down the middle without being um, jaded by either side, it helped, it helped. And I think my engineering degree helped because um, I remember when I first um, started working after coming out of the academy and I did a police report, I mean, I did a, well, yeah, I did an investigative report and my Lieutenant then said it was boring. I said, well, what do you mean? He says too factual, it, it sounds like a lab report. <laughs> so, and that was my past. I mean, I was used to writing up everything. This is the way it happened. You know, no fluff, no adjectives, uh, scientific data, right? Um, but uh, that's what we did in professional standards. We just gave the facts. All right. So I have two things that I loved out of that. First off is being in there is like being in dog years, <laughs> which absolutely cracks me up, but I understand it. Yeah. And the second thing is I love the the plug about engineering reporting and you've got to have boring reports, right? Because they're just fact after fact after fact. So clearly you were doing something right. Exactly. Um, now, speaking of that, so 
I know we're going on a little bit of a history lesson, uh, which, you know, I'm sorry to do sort of generally, you lived this clearly, but I think for our audience and certainly for myself, I, it's amazing to see your trajectory, right? So you went into these different departments, you get started in this environmental, then it expands from there, then you're in internal affairs. And then uh, in 2015, you were appointed the chief of detectives for Essex County. And uh, I, I myself had just started at New Jersey Institute of Technology uh, I was so thrilled to see this video, um, which which was a video of you being inducted. And it was spectacular to watch because you were the first woman, you're the first African-American. I mean, these were really historic things. But when I watched you on stage and I listened to your remarks, and then there was a little post-remarks interview somebody did with you, you were thinking about the job. I mean, it, it was none of the rest of those things. You were just laser focused on what do I need to do? How do I need to do it? And you were really serious about making an impact. That's what it seemed like. I have to wonder what was going through your mind at that time? So, you know, being in this business, a lot of times uh, the uh, behind the scenes, you know, exposure and notoriety, I, I got lost in that in a sense where I, I didn't really I was in the front, but I wasn't in the front. I like being behind the scenes. I like, you know, getting the information, getting the job done. I, I didn't have a problem with that. Uh, when we had that swearing in ceremony, uh, originally we were supposed to be in another building. And then the uh, then chief who was leaving had said to me that, you know, this event is growing legs. I think we need a bigger venue. I didn't know what that meant. I'm like, we need a bigger venue. Like why? I mean, that room always works. And when I uh, went to the back, and I was coming from, you know, behind stage to the like viewing room and I saw all those people there. First thing that came to mind was like, where are my children? They must be petrified with all these people here because there were hundreds of people who had attended. And at that moment, I think I realized um, the impact that I had and that I could have uh, not only on my fellow, you know, peers and uh, people that I had worked with um, throughout the years, but also the community, because there was also um, people from the community that had attended. So it, it was amazing to think about, you know, how much I would have to um, prove. And, and when I say that, because just as people are watching, you know, you have those people who are your biggest supporters. And, you know, you also have those people who are somewhat doubtful, you know, you being the first, you know, are you going to be able to handle it? Um, it takes me back to uh, my very first management job. And, you know, we had a disagreement uh, one time at work. One of the workers came in and I was about 27, 28. And I remember um, the uh, business administrator called me and said, oh, you had a conflict with one of the uh, men at the garage. And I said, yes. And he goes, yeah, I heard how you handled it. I said, yes. I thought I was going to get in trouble, actually. And he says, I'm proud of you because I was worried about you being down there working with all those men. And, you know, I, I've always found myself to be tough because of my upbringing, um, you know, working and living in the city throughout the years, but still being able to be professional enough to do this job and do it right. But I, I think the responsibility was the first thing that struck me. And, and I said, you know what, I have to do it, not just for myself, but for all the people that I grew up with, I went to school with, and, you know, most importantly, for my children and my family. 
So that was all the things rushing through my head at that moment on the stage. I didn't realize how big of a deal this was. Yeah, so I can tell you having watched that, actually one of the interviewers or, or one of the anchors who was doing a broadcast about it was actually on NJIT's campus. Uh, and they mentioned that you had graduated from there and they were talking about some of your background. Uh, and of course, those things get approved through campus. But students were sort of walking by wondering what was going on. And when I watched it, I thought, Man, this is <laughs> I wish I could have put up a sign at that point saying this is why. So I'm not surprised at all that it garnered such an audience, I think, you know, well deserved. But well, my, um, my classmates knew they my classmates knew um, that I graduated with and went to school with. They knew that was going on at the time. Well, I think, like you said, it's uh, they must have been so proud to see what you were doing. Yeah. And this is a building on a career, right? So this is, in a lot of ways, just recognition of everything you were doing is what brought you to that place. I mean, those are skills you really can't learn anywhere else, I would think. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's really it's soft skills, there's technical skills. Um, you know, there's, of course, the law and you know, knowing what to do. Uh, and, and I always say this to my children, you know, it's always doing what's right, even when no one's watching. So I, I didn't pay attention to the noise a lot of the times in my career. We've had plenty of different prosecutors and different chiefs, and I just kept doing my job. You know, everyone would, you know, busy about like, oh, you know, there's a new prosecutor, there's a new chief. And I said, well, if you're doing what you're supposed to do, it doesn't really matter. And I just kept that philosophy throughout my career. So one of the things I know you you had been sort of passionate about from everything I've seen and read was also uh, community policing, community involvement. Um, you weren't just somebody who supported it. You were an advocate of this. And I was very struck. Obviously, we're in a climate today where that exact skill set and everything else you've mentioned is so much more visible. Um, even as much as it's always been very important. I was also struck a couple of weeks ago and, and very proud, frankly, that there were protests in Newark. There was all sorts of activity in Newark and totally peaceful. And it, it did seem like there was a lot of blend over between the police and the community and the, you know, the politicians and everyone. I, you were part of that for many, many years. Do you feel like that, that your efforts have borne fruit um, and is this something that, uh, you know, you feel you've been able to be part of that impact that's occurred? So in, in 2008, when I became a lieutenant, um, something new also happened in the prosecutor's office. Um, the prosecutor then was Paula Dow. Um, she's now a judge in Burlington County. And the chief then was Anthony Ambrose. And one of the things that happened when um, Anthony Ambrose came into the office, office is that he really emphasized the fact that we had to bond, we had to um, communicate with the community prior to an incident happening because the culture was changing. Um, initially, when I went into the office in 1998, you know, the police um, and citizen relationship the prosecutor's office kind of built its relationship through them. But as time went on, we had to build our own relationship with the citizens throughout the county. So you think about Newark and you see how large Newark is, we had to do it for every agency in the county. So it became um, taxing, but guess what? We got out there and we built those relationships. 
through the local chiefs of police and police directors and through the NAACP and the um, clergy, anyone who wanted to partner with us, we would come out and we would get involved. So that changed the dynamics of what we did to the point where, you know, if there was an incident that gathered a lot of media attention, we would go to the community first. We wouldn't wait for the community to call and make complaints. We would um, go out to them. Um, sometimes uh, when I was chief, the we would have an incident and the prosecutor, um, by then it was Prosecutor Murray and I, would divide up the list of who would call which different community leaders and we would call them in and bring them in and sometimes explain issues or cases with them prior to them going public just because we knew that if there was rumors going outside of our department that those are the people that we needed to set things straight with so that they could relay that information to the community especially when we weren't able to um, if a case was ongoing so i can't imagine there was a roadmap to this I mean, what you're describing is this this scale of effort with all the different departments you'd have to talk to, with all the different people you'd have to get to know. Was there any sort of guidance that, that you were able to get anywhere? Or is this something that you really had to build it collaboratively, collaboratively to create this roadmap? Uh, I had to build it. Um, and like I said, it started in 2008 and it just continued. And, you know, luckily I learned you know, you watch people. I always tell people I have several mentors. I have several, um, you know, people that, you know, I consider like life coaches that I talk to. Um, it, it goes from, you know, uh, the first person that hired me, Glenn Grant, um, in the law department, to then I started working for uh, Prosecutor Hurt, and then Carolyn Murray, uh, Anthony Ambrose, um, you know, my little smaller group of female chiefs and directors, Sheila Coley, Sheila Byron. So it, it just, it blossoms. It's almost like a flower. You know, you always have those different people in your lives that you can reach out to and you can talk to about um, different issues that's going on. And in this business, when you have the type of personality where you collaborate with other people, if you need something, you can always reach out and everyone's always willing, willing to help each other. I mean, that's really, that is an incredible thing. I think the definition, a lot of ways in soft skills, it's not just yeah. how you speak to people, it's being open to people speaking to you, sharing interests, sharing that kind of leadership. I mean, that really is is a spectacular thing, I think for alumni and for our students to see too. It's not necessarily a natural skill. Um, so is this something, I know I'm deviating a little bit from from previous conversations we've had, but is this something that, that, you sort of have, or did you work to build this consciously over time? These these skills that you've got. Um, I, I would say I worked over time. Um, so when I was at NGIT, I also worked for pre-college consortiums, and we were able to work with seventh through twelfth graders. I think if you can work with and talk with children. That gives you a lot of confidence to deal with everyone because children can be so blunt and so honest um, a lot of the times. And, you know, then building from that, it's just being an investigator, being a detective, you have to talk to people. People are the, they solve cases. I know CSI tells us different, but 
you have to get information most times from people. There's video there, there's fingerprints, there's all kind of forensics, but at the end of the day, you need someone to help you um, build your case. So you have to learn how to talk to all types of people, um, you know, from the priest to the nun, to the drug dealer, you know, to just, you know, people who are on bad times, you know, and you, you can't be insensitive. So you have to be sensitive to the people that you're dealing with. So I think over time, um, I learned my way because I think probably when I was at NGIT, I was, if it wasn't around my circle of friends, I may have been a little shy. Um, you got to remember I started, I was 17. So I couldn't even go to the infirmary and get Tylenol without my mom. So, you know, I, I started young and I, I think that also helped. I think I grew and I matured, um, I, I would say, through the course of, uh, you know, a lot of dealing with different people and having different experiences and having different people in my lives. And I think that's something that students should be open to, you know, talking to different staff members on campus, not just the teachers. Um, there were There were a lot of good people. Um, on the campus at the time when I went there that were good to talk to outside of the classroom and get perspectives. And me working for the city of Newark, I mean, oh my goodness, I, I would say I have dozens of aunts and uncles, um, you know, by association from working uh, in the city of Newark and in Essex County. And I always feel like I could pick up the phone and talk to them or call them or, you know, like I said, branch out for other resources. So uh, something I'm, I'm thrilled to say, too, is that pre-college, uh, which I didn't know that you would work for, pre-college is doing spectacularly well. Uh, we're supremely proud of the work that's done there, uh, both in terms of the program and who it's able to bring through and educate and support. So so it's great to hear that you were part of that as well. Right. Um, and also, I love the concept. Maybe one day I'll pull a quote out that says, uh, you know, if you can work with... Uh, kids in, in grade school and high school and so on, you can work with anybody. That's probably true. <laughs> but the amazing thing about that is when I worked in pre-college, I thought that I was so much older than those students. And <laughs> now I see them like they had families and got married before I did. And <laughs> I'm still friends with some of them. You know, I developed friendships and um, it, it's so funny now. It, it's really funny. Uh, one friend um, I call her little sister in particular, her name was Erica. She started out in pre-college and she tells me seventh grade. She tells everyone, I knew her since seventh grade. And everyone looks at us like, how old is she? <laughs> I'm like, that's a, it's not important. <laughs> but yeah. so <laughs> That's when you can be happy. You can actually take Tylenol now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. Quovello, one of the things that um, that we've seen uh, in the country over the past couple months, right? Is this intense focus on uh, police tactics, the technique, the culture of police overall. Um, and something that I noticed in your background that, that you went out for was a nonviolent crisis intervention certificate uh, where it seems as though you, you know, you consciously chose to educate yourself about that and to have an understanding of it and how to change it. Um, do you think that the focus right now on transparency and and how much more involved everyone is is in this uh, is going to positively change the police culture and the police technique that have been used uh, in certain areas? Or do you see that this is part of an overall trend uh, coming out of the last couple of decades? 
So um, one, one thing is in New Jersey, you know, de-escalation has always been taught. Uh, so you start at the least amount of force, which is usually verbal commands. Um, and the one thing I always say, we teach our kids, you know, listen, we speak we with words, use words. So if you can talk your way out of a situation, that is the best, uh, the best for everyone. Um, de-escalation is just that. De-escalation is just getting to um, talk to someone and associate with that person before things escalate and get to a point where you have to use mechanical force, you know, a baton or, you know, uh, OC spray or any type of other element which could further escalate um, the incident. So de-escalation, I always look for different ways to deal with de-escalation tactics. And some of the things that I take back from that is the fact that if you know how to speak to people, you will 99.9% of the times be successful. I mean, it doesn't erase the fact that some people have um, severe emotional illness and may not be as rational as you may think you're being at the time you're talking talking to them. But the reality is most times it's just how you deal with people. Um, I know uh, Maya Angelou says, said that, you know, people will forget what you say, but they will never forget how you made them feel. And it's true. You know, it's true, totally true, because most times in law enforcement, we deal with people at their lowest point and you don't know what happened to them. Uh, hours, minutes pass, days pass, years pass. So there's a certain amount of compassion that I think in some places we have lost. And, and I say that because me being a citizen, I walk around, I don't think I have the normal um, persona maybe <laughs> as a law enforcement officer. Um, you know, people just happen to know me and they know who I am. But you know, the stereotypical law enforcement officer is a white male. So people automatically, they assume certain things. Um, I remember going away, they thought my husband was the cop. I was a school teacher. And this was just like, we were in South Carolina in a, um, a restaurant and my husband had on the prosecutor's um, jacket, my jacket. And my husband said, no. He said, "Who do you? what do you think she does for a living? And they were like, school teacher. I'm like, well, part-time, but <laughs> that is not my main function. I think then I was chief, but it, it's just, we have to, as law enforcement, rethink uh, what we're doing. And I think this whole past month and a half, um, I think has taught me that, you know, we need to take a pause and re-examine how we talk to people and how we deal with the community. Because I don't think we do enough of asking the community what they want. Sometimes um, we can go into a situation like a doctor you know, examining you and, you know, looking at you and say, okay, you need one, two, three, four. And you go into your doctor and say, well, I only came in, you know, to get uh, my temperature checked. Like we make assumptions for people. So I think now that we're having open communication, we can talk to the community and basically say, you know, tell us what you need. And that's the approach I'm using in Franklin Township, um, meeting with the community, I, I want to know what do you want from the police? Um, 
And, you know, we're not going away, fortunately, because I believe society needs us. I don't think it's exactly when they say um, certain things about police officers, they mean to get rid of police because I don't know what type of world that would be. But there are things we can do differently, but we just have to hear from the community. What do they want us to do? I know what my job is, but tell me what is most important in my job. And I gotta say, so much of that, uh, it rings even in conversations I've had at work. Uh, just the other day, I had a conversation with one of my coworkers who said, you know, in addition to a lot of the buzzwords you hear, a lot of what needs to expand even internally is inclusion, the, the bringing in of those different voices and then the listening to those voices, which sounds like that's largely what you've been able to do. Um, I, I can't imagine <laughs> somebody saying, well, you look like a school teacher. I don't even know what that would mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, crayon, I don't know. <laughs> I guess in a sense, you know, I, I, I'm friendly. You know, um, you know, I, I talk to people, I communicate with people. And, you know, I think when I'm around my children, I probably am school teacher like. <laughs> so. Well, so it's an interesting segue because one of the other things that you have done, you've been an adjunct professor at Rutgers. So you are you are an educator, uh, not just, you know, police, but but you've been a mentor to your successors, to many other people in your field. You were a certification instructor, the adjunct professor at Rutgers. You serve on nonprofit boards. I, you cover so much ground. And, I, and I'm always amazed at, at how something like that is possible. How is it possible? How do you find the time to balance so many of these things that you do and about which you feel so passionate? So I, I say it's is passion and is time management. And maybe it goes back to NJIT because listen, uh, one of the realities is as soon as I began at NJIT, you know, you have two science classes, a math class, an English class, two electives. So <laughs> you learn to do time management very quickly uh, if you want to do well. So I think, you know, just just being involved in certain groups, I, I break it down. You know, my the ones I volunteer for take really one to two uh, eight-hour blocks out of my month. Um, some are not every month. Some are twice a year. Some now with Zoom, listen, everyone gets you because I can do a Zoom call uh, like for 10 hours. <laughs> and we joked, uh, I, I think it was last month, I attended like about six different meetings that were in a different state. I was like, hey, this is better than flying. It's cheaper. So I, I think just, you know, guess what? If it's important to you, you make time for it. So, you know, just like spending time, you know, with my family, it's important. I make time to spend time and, um, you know, see what my kids are doing. It's important for me to teach at Rutgers uh, because I, I love it. You know, being in a criminal justice field, it's hard when they're just reading the books. They need the real life experiences um, from professors who have done it, who have worked in the field. And, and listen, I think they thrive off of it. I love getting their minds going. I love hearing the questions. Um, I love being that person that even after the class ends, I get quite a few um, emails about what's going on in their life, about references for them to go on to grad school and further. So I, I just, I love it. Just like I like pre-college with 
those young teenagers growing up. I, I love seeing it. I can't wait till I'm like, you know, 70, 80, and I'm seeing like those students from Rutgers, you know, grow up to be, you know, senators or <laughs> doctors or, you know, the proverbs at a university and things like that. So it, it's just being a part of it, knowing that, you know, I'm doing my little bit to help them. That was extremely inspirational. <laughs> I feel good about that. Um, but you know, it does it does lead me to things. So you graduated. It, it was it was ninety four. Uh, then you were in the the field in in ninety eight. So you, you remember this was right before the dot com crash, right? And then in the two thousands after nine eleven, and then with the financial crash, and now we're in essentially the time of COVID. So every graduating class. Uh, it goes through its own challenges. Some of them are more challenging than others. You have, I think, kind of a bird's eye view in so many different respects of, of what younger folks are going through right now. And as you were just mentioning, they're, they're graduating and you're going to look down the road and see what they've done. What would you say to our new graduating class, class of 2020, to keep them inspired and to keep them feeling, feeling good about things? I really do believe in hills and valleys because, um, you know, life is not all hills. You're not always going to be at the top of where you want to be. Um, you know, two years ago, I really didn't know what I was going to do after I retired. And it, it wasn't so much about um, just money. Um, it was, you know, pension. Luckily, in law enforcement, you do get a pension. So it wasn't about money. It was about what was my purpose in life. And I do think like when you're in a place and you don't know exactly what you're going to do because COVID did shut down uh, quite a few things, I, I think it gives you a chance to rethink what is it I really feel passionate about? What is it I really want to do with my life? And I think during these times, I mean, I know for me, it, it did help me think about that. And you know, different opportunities came prior to Franklin Township, and I, I didn't think it was quite me, but Franklin is right next door to my town where I've lived for the past um, 15 years. And guess what? It, it was just, it just fit. It was a nice town, you know, um, nice people, the officers here. Listen, they, of course, you know, it's new because we didn't know each other, but I feel like I've been here much longer time. And that's because they've been welcoming. And, and I think it's my attitude too. I came in, I wanted to help them. So if you have that passion for something, you really want to do something in electrical engineering, you really want to do something in industrial engineering or whatever your major is, people will see it. And don't be afraid to change. The one great thing about being young is you can change. I mean, look, I did not think. <laughs> If you told me in 1994 that I would be sitting here today as director of a police department, having been the chief of detectives at the prosecutor's office, I would have said, of course not. Um, I'm going to work for, and that was always my lead in, I'm going to work for Shearing Plow. I'm going to work for some other you know, industrial organization, but that's not the path I took. Um, and it was just because I stayed open-minded. I didn't pigeonhole myself into one thing because of my degree, because engineering, the degrees at NGIT 
allow you to develop a thinking process. Um, anytime I go into a project here at work, it's a project, um, no matter what. Entails different functions, different things. We have to worry about um, certain levels of safety that you may not on another job, but still, it's a process. You know, you start from, okay, tomorrow when we begin this, what are we going to do after this? And that is what you learn. That is what you've been learning from day one uh, when you started your uh, your education. It it all falls together. So I think the world is yours. You just have to make up your mind which direction you want to go in. And it may not feel like that now because things are different. But guess what? Life is ever changing. And and I think the young people now have the advantage because they already have a handle on this technology. <laughs> you know, I, my kids fell right into Zoom and whatever else, um, you know, software the teachers and the school gave them. So it was just it was instant. I didn't even hear any complaints about them logging onto video chats and things like that. So let's just face it. You have it. And especially in this time, day and time, I know I always tell my students, if you want to go into criminal justice and you're not sure you want to be a cop, think about cyber crimes. Think about, you know, other technical elements in terms of um, not just, say, being a cop, but there's the FBI, there's the DEA, ATF. I don't know what those things are going to look like later, but hey, there are options. Trust me. And you just have to be open to what you really want to do. So there's a couple things coming out of that. Uh, that I found interesting. The first is I have a one-year-old who got a hold of my phone the other day and started a Google Meet. <laughs> so you're right about mastering the technology. Um, but I, I I also noticed there that um, you were referring a lot to the different career paths. I should mention, and, and we're very proud of this as well, there is now a forensic um, analysis course at NJIT. We're starting to lean more heavily into that because we saw such an interest but it also got me thinking, you know, you speak passionately about uh, the the value that you got in NJIT and how this is set. Um, I wonder if you've been back to campus anytime since you graduated. And if not, can I get you back there when everything gets back and up and running? So luckily, I'm still in a neighborhood. Um, let me see. Where have I been? Uh, I went. At, so I was involved in Youth Day. I believe maybe two years ago. So I was in the student center uh, that looked different. They have all the different rooms that you can break out into right now. So I was there also um, the new gym uh, looked way better than, I mean, well, I thought our gym was top notch and state of the art, but they really uh, expanded on the new gym. Um, I've seen Warren street, the new buildings that they bought uh, were built. Uh, well, I don't know if they renovate it, but it looks very different than what I'm used kind of to. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like that that New York Soho feel. I think NJIT is trying to be like NYU, maybe. <laughs> it's a, that that sort of campus community, Broad Street area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, I've been around. I've been around. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that new athletic center is uh, stunning. <laughs> And the campus center looks beautiful. I, I'm glad you've been back. I have to say, because I think, like I mentioned before, what you've done, how you've done it, I, I think is extremely inspiring to myself. Uh, I think it's inspiring to our alumni. And I'm very glad to see that that's still staying connected with the students. Yeah. Uh, my hope is that this is not the last time we catch up. I'd love to do this again. And 
you know, if and when campus starts opening back up, I'd love to have you back there and speaking to our students again as well. Yes, I'm very interested in uh, what they did inside Central High School. Sure. Oh, that's yeah. great. So, you yeah. know, what I will share with you uh, just the other day, I was taking some virtual tour photos. So uh, for you and for anybody listening to our uh, StreamYard session here uh, for our Highlander chat, uh, we're going to be rolling out some virtual tours where you'll actually be able to go and walk yourself through the building and see uh, what it's like because it's it's stunning uh, what they've been able to do in there. Yeah, I remember the one that was the high school. Yeah, sure. Yep, yep, yep. Different yeah. different look entirely from there. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I could tell. I could tell. I was. I had a class right across the street um, at Rutgers at seven a.m. at one point. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> so you would have seen some of the students coming in and out, possibly, because I know they got an early start sometimes. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You know, it was winter, seven a.m. I oh, did. Yeah. <laughs> Dark all around. Yeah. Exactly. Well, one of the great things, a little plug for this. So we actually had an alumna who was part of the architectural and design team. Uh, and one of the things that really came out of that whole process was we kept the sense of the history of the building. You know, yeah. it. it's this beautiful right. building. We kept yeah. the original concrete and the original brick and really tried to do it as a testament to what that building was mm -hmm. uh, for education, start to finish, and then keep that sense of collaboration. So yeah, love to have you come back and check it out. I have family members that um, actually went to that school way back. <laughs> yeah, you know, we keep tabs on that. We try to we try to support some reunions that come back because it was such a big part of people's lives. Oh really? Okay, okay. Yeah. Let them know, please. Yeah. So Quivella, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. Um, it means a lot to us that you stay connected and stay in touch. That you are the leader you are, and. Uh, Again, I think it's an inspiration for everybody. So I'd love to do this again sometime soon. Um, and in the meantime, uh, for alumni who, who want to learn more about this, this is something where uh, we'll probably be in touch again to talk a little bit more about what you do and, and share it with our alumni audience. Absolutely. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks so much for taking the time today. All right. Thank you, Michael. And my best to you and your family as well. Absolutely. Thank you. So that was our latest Highlander chat with Quovella Sprill, class of 1994, director of public safety at uh, Franklin Township, Somerset. My name is Mike Small, and I'm executive director of the Alumni Relations Office at NJIT. And I encourage you all to leave comments. Uh, let us know what you thought of our session here today. Make sure to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and also check in for our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You'll hear from us again very soon, I'm sure. But in the meantime, have a great week. Enjoy your summer. And my best to everyone out there. Finally, go Highlanders. <laughs>